When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the show. Brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. I'm Dan from The Square Ball. Michael's on holiday this week, but of course we have The Athletic's Phil Hay. Hello, Phil. Hello. If you're not subscribed yet to The Athletic, you can read all Phil's writings about Leeds. There's loads of other stuff on the site as well. Premier League, sport around the world, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Pound a month for six months right now if you sign up. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Four and a half weeks and it'll all be over, but we don't quite know where this is heading yet. No, it's it's not far away now. And actually, when you start to look at the, the rest of the fixture list, you realise that middle of May, end of May, it'll all be done. The one thing that is happening is that the Premier League table is starting to, it's starting to sort of level out now. It's been such a long stretch of time with clubs with three games in hand, four games in hand. It's such a sort of uneven balance across the division, but slowly it's starting to come together and we're starting to get a clearer picture of what's going on. Uh, we're recording before Burnley Southampton and that will come this evening and by the time you listen to this you'll probably know the outcome. Do we need to do a few different outcomes? Say, are you, what a great outcome for Leeds. Oh, yeah, absolutely fantastic. That's, really, that's really Leeds that. probably safe. Yeah. Or, uh, oh, it's all, it's all on again and, <laughs> and they're back in, back in the running. I think this, this is probably the game for Burnley. I think if they beat Southampton they will be very much back in the mix. If they don't, then it's starting to look difficult for them and games are running out for them. They, they are the club more than any other who seem to have countless games in hand, but they have dried up now and they're almost up to, to level pegging with Leeds and, and the other clubs around them. So crucial game and for Leeds, still looking good, I think. We are talking off the back of the Everton draw with Leicester as well. Injury time equaliser there for Everton. Not a great game. Did you watch much of that? Yeah, I, they're an extremely poor side at the moment, Everton, and very much hanging in. But it's a it's a good point for them that which didn't look like it was coming. And in their position, every point is going to be going to be critical. I think Leeds are probably one, maybe two results away from being safe. But it feels to me that if they go to Palace and win on Monday night, that will probably be it. Thirty six points seems like a lot to a lot to catch for, for Burnley I don't think Norwich and Watford have, have any chance of, of getting to that level Michael Cox who, who writes for The Athletic was saying that 37 tends to be you know season on season the number that you need in order to stay in the division 36 is, is pretty much bang there um, and I think that, that would be enough um, but for Everton poor game good result Did you see Burnley at West Ham on Sunday so we knew about the Deitch sacking didn't we I think last week but then we saw the fruits of it in action and they seemed to want to pass the ball a little bit more at the London Stadium but still weren't massively effective albeit they should have probably won that and had they took away the penalty Yeah I think so they, they they played pretty well down there although I always felt with Daesh that there were kind of presumptions made about his football and his style that if you watch Burnley consistently weren't necessarily there I mean they, they didn't have a kind of ultra defined way of playing and they weren't a side who, who passed teams to death in the way that, that Leeds did under Bielsa or say City do under under Guardiola and I have to say I mean you messaged me to say that, that he'd been sacked and I, I was off last week but I'd, I'd heard it on the radio and I was really surprised really mm. surprised and it seems to me that the full story of that hasn't come out yet 
there's been very little said about what's gone on and, and why that decision has been taken. And they had a very mixed week beating Everton and looking like they were 100% on, on Frank Lampard's case and then losing at Norwich, which was a, a really awful result for them in, in a game that they, they had to win and, and must have had down as, as three points if they thought they were staying up. But they, they are still there and, and they do still have a chance. And it seemed to me that if on face value, the board and the, the ownership at, at Burnley have lost faith in Deitch, then they're essentially saying that they don't think Burnley have a chance of staying up or, or they, they didn't think that Burnley had a chance of staying up. And it just makes me wonder what's actually gone on and what the motivation is for this because I think he'd have done pretty well with Burnley in the Championship again. I mean, it's it's quite hard to, to put your finger on exactly what the financial position is over there, but if they'd retained a, a fair number of the, of the players who are in the squad at the moment, I think they'd have been really competitive. And he's won promotion from that division previously twice before. So it's, yeah, strange decision. And considering who they've been linked with as well, a bit of talk about Farke, you know, and, and you would say, well, there's a manager who knows how to get out of the championship, but they had a manager who knows how to get out of the championship. I don't know if they just feel it's gone stale. I don't know if there's been ructions between Dyche and, and the board, but all in all, it seemed like odd timing to me because you you would have thought if that was a decision that was coming, it would have been made at the point where Burnley were kind of dead and buried. It feels like a Hail Mary at this stage, doesn't it? To borrow that Americanism, like it's just the, it's the last ditch pass to try and save the game kind of thing. Do you even think it's that though? I think so. I, I'm... <laughs> I, I, on on the basis be... that they've they've got a kind of caretaker team in charge with absolutely no proven pedigree in this division at all, it doesn't seem to me like they've gambled on a better option to keep them up than the option they had, which which was Daesh. It feels a little to me like they're making their bed and they kind of know that they're going down. Really? Yeah. I, I, I see it as a last ditch attempt to change something. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I guess we can draw parallels with what's happened at Leeds, can't we, in that we had a club that was very wedded to a particular style, contrasting styles where Bielsa and Deitch are concerned. And then at some stage, somebody's lost faith in that style and they've said, this can't continue. Now we did it early relative to what Burnley have done. I mean, this, like I say, I'm describing it as a Hail Mary because it's so late in the day and you wonder what can change between now and the end of the season. It, it would have felt more like a Hail Mary to me had they gone for, say, Allardyce or somebody like that. If you had know, someone lined had, up. Had it been the, the classic, who can save us from relegation, let's go for it and give it give it a bash. Whereas it seems as if it's just been left in, in caretaker hands because they've got a decision to make in the summer. And it feels, certainly from what's been spoken about and the, and the, the people who've been linked with the job, it sounds as if they are teeing themselves up to find somebody who can get them promoted again next season. I think in, in fairness to Leeds and the the, the change of head coach that they made back in February. The whole point of that from the, the board's perspective was to make sure that they didn't go down. And because they'd, they'd essentially lost faith in, in Bielsa producing the results that they were going to need, they decided to make a change. This this doesn't feel the same to me. Yeah, it is strange, especially in the context of the contracts, because he signed a four-year contract with Deitch not too long ago, didn't he? So I guess, yeah, the story will emerge. I mean, we know that one club that's heading back in the other direction is Fulham. They've been promoted again. We were chatting just before we started recording about the championship but the standard of it and the differences between the Premier League and the championship and I was saying to you then I, I think it's taken me a couple of years to realise what those differences are do you notice what the gulf is now? It's quality and ability and the fact that in this division give or take and, and talking about the Premier League virtually every team has it and every team has the ability to turn it on I kind of feel in the Premier League that if you play poorly you're highly unlikely to get anything from from a game, whereas I don't think that's the case in the Championship. I think you can get away 
with a fair amount in the Championship. It has to be said that you have to be a very good team to come up out of that division. I mean, Leeds, I, I think, were an excellent team in the season when they were promoted under Bielsa. And, and for my money, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say the best Championship team I've seen. I mean, that, that would be stretching it slightly. But up there with the best of them. I think you have to be at that standard. And, and Fulham have been this season. Fulham have been exceptionally consistent. They've got the Mitrovic bug and <laughs> kind of the, the, the Mitrovic art of going into that division and scoring so many goals. I mean, 40 goals is, you know, it, it makes him a massive outlier, even in that division. You, you do get 20 goal strikers regularly in the championship and you don't necessarily need them to go up because Leeds never had a 20 goal striker when, when they did. But if you have anybody who's scoring 40 goals, you, you're absolutely laughing and, and, and they are. But I think it should be said that he's not scoring 40 goals because that's just what he does. It, it, he's scoring 40 goals because they are the best team in the division and they're, they're teeing him up regularly. But the more I watch the championship, the more I realise that the jump is extremely big. And I think more than anything, I realise why it is that a lot of clubs who go down are able to compete very strongly the following season. I suspect that next season you'll see Watford, Norwich, Burnley, potentially if they if they do go and, and they get managerial appointment right I think you'll see them in, in contention again because there, there is a definite difference between the two divisions and I think yeah we're seeing all the um, all the talent all the players are gravitating towards the Premier League where the money is now aren't we because of the profit and sustainability financial fair play regulations in the EFL they're starting to tighten their grip a little bit now because we've seen that it's becoming less of a paper tiger and it's becoming more effective because you see what's happened to Derby this time so I think they're, they're sort of squeezing the the outliers there financial outliers so the only financial outliers you've got are the ones that come down from the Premier League with the wealth to kind of try and kick straight back up again, aren't they? And a lot of good players in the Championship. Mitrovic is, is a funny case in that it's never quite what for him in the Premier League. And this will be another attempt for him to to change that and, and to, to settle and establish himself. And, and maybe there's more chance of it happening at Fulham, for example, than there was when, when he was at Newcastle. But even so, it, it's kind of difficult to understand why a player who can score 40 goals at that level. And I mean, there's still like four games to go. He's, it looks like he's going to gonna break Guy Whittingham's record if, if, he, if he keeps going like this. Hard to understand why somebody who is so prolific at a division down has never really got on a run in the Premier League. I mean, like Bamford would be a, quite a good, a good comparison. Not scoring at the same rate or, or anything like it, but had never really had the chance to cut it properly in the Premier League until he came to Leeds scored plenty of goals, went up and, and actually settled really well last season and, you know, looked like he was comfortable at that level. I, I wonder if it might be the same for Mitrovic this time. I wonder if being at Fulham will, will give him more of a chance of doing that. Or on the flip side, they cash in on him now when his value is the highest and then um, go to town with the money. Uh, but I suppose if you were going to invest in Mitrovic, would you not have that doubt in your head about the fact that, yes, he scores goals at that level, but he's done it before and then he's come into the Premier League and it's never quite worked for him? He seems to me like a pretty pretty shrewd investment to be honest depending on what you were being asked to pay but I think there is probably a, a Bamford element to it that you know in the case of Bamford Bielsa had huge faith in him massive faith which was in the end justified and, and rewarded and I think Fulham I, I think Mitrovic will probably feel that Fulham look at him in, in the same way I sort of wonder who else in the Premier League with the exception of the sides coming up would see Mitrovic as somebody that they that they really need and, and if it's sides coming up who are interested in him he might as well stay where he is. But football is full of fools with money. We do know that. Yes. So, uh, so let's not yes. let's not discount anything. Yeah, I think the difference between the Premier League and the Championship is like better use of possession and winning the ball back as well, more effective turnover of possession and 
you tend to find that mistakes are punished a lot more in the Premier League, don't you? Like I, th- you- I, I definitely think that's the case. We, we've certainly seen that. And if you don't take your chances, you get punished, which yeah. I think is what's happened with Leeds so much. Yeah, and, and the, the quality that you have in opposition teams means that, that they do tend to take the chances. That has been pretty apparent this season more than last season. Um, but it is it is on a different level, without any doubt. How do you think Fulham will, um, will get on next year? Do you think we'll see them as one of the strugglers again? I suspect so. I think in the same way that teams going down into the championship tend to be fairly strong or should be in a position to be strong have, have they managed themselves properly it feels more and more like your team's coming up have a challenge to to compete which is why it was why it was so impressive last season Leeds finishing ninth I mean it doesn't happen very often I think looking back it, there was only really Wolves in 2018 who'd bettered Leeds tally points in the, the previous 20 years and they again I mean the difference with Wolves was that they came up with some players, you know, Neves, Bolly and, and, and Jota and so on, who actually even in the championship looked like kind of Champions League footballers. You, you looked at them away at Bristol City and Millwall and, and actually when they came in and battered Leeds at Ellen Road as well and thought, I don't understand why on earth these players are, are in, in this league. But that tends to be quite unusual and a lot for Fulham will depend on what they do in the summer and how they recruit. But I'm not looking at them and thinking that they're going to be wildly more competitive than they were when they came up last time and also I think there's, there's still quite a question mark over Marco Silva in the Premier League as well and that new standard there is I saw some um, online chatter that the season tickets are at £1,000 something like that it's, it's, it feels steep yes I read something a while back as well about Chelsea's season tickets at about 1300 quid, <laughs> which is just unbelievable amounts of money it has changed that stadium quite a lot though at Craven Cottage it, it always felt like going to a kind of lower league ground that whereas now it, it is bigger they will benefit from that um, financially but I think in the context of London football certainly I think Fulham are, are kind of always condemned to be on the, the smaller side of clubs who are there It's interesting keeping an eye on um, on Huddersfield as well isn't it and in particular Carlos Corberan because mm. they're well in contention right now look almost certain to make the playoffs at this stage do you think he was ever in serious contention or might be to succeed Bielsa, obviously he hasn't succeeded Bielsa immediately, but I mean further down the line, because he was touted at some stages as being the natural heir to the throne. They wanted Marsh. They wanted Marsh and they got Marsh. He, it's become quite apparent really that, that he was top of the list, but Coburn would certainly have been on it to the extent that at Leeds they really like Coburn. They like his coaching. They saw the impact it had with the 23s. They liked the way that he, he was able to operate between the first team squad and the 23s in his time with Bielsa. But I think they also appreciate that he took on a really difficult job there. I mean, when you, you think back to him going, it was a big leap that. And he is an ambitious guy. He obviously wanted to to manage in his own right rather than just be part of a coaching team longer term. But he took that decision at a point where Huddersfield looked like they were going nowhere, didn't look like they had a particularly big budget. And right at the point where Leeds were going up. So he had kind of Premier League football beckoning him and saying, if you want this, it's all yours. You know, Bielsa would have kept him as part of his, of his coaching staff without any doubt. And last season was really difficult for Huddersfield. I mean, they were, they were fairly close to relegation. They didn't go down in the end. But defensively, the record was was absolutely terrible. And I think the one thing I've noticed with Corbin, as much as I, I do kind of keep an eye on, on Huddersfield, which isn't a, a huge amount, but he seems very much his own man. They were... Marking man-to-man last season, it didn't really work. You can see from the, the defensive record that they had that it wasn't all falling into place. And he's changed that. They've, they've gone zonal this season. He uh, signed a new keeper, a new set of defenders over the summer. 
and they've been really, really good, really good defensively. They're extremely efficient as well in the sense that they don't score a huge number of goals, but they do turn that into a good number of, of results. And there are, I think, little things that are similar between Huddersfield and Leeds. I mean, Huddersfield clearly aren't going to go up top two, I don't think. They, they look like they're, they're heading for the playoffs now, but they might get promoted anyway via that route. But we're talking about Mitrovic and his, his 40 goals. And, and if you have a 40-goal striker, you can pretty much assume that you're, you're going to go up. And even bang average teams, if they've got strikers who score 20 goals, 25 goals, it, it makes a huge difference to them. Huddersfield have got Danny Ward who scored 13 and nobody else is on double figures. And it's a little bit like Bamford in the championship for Leeds in, in the season that they went up. It wasn't as if you had two 20-goal strikers or, you know, a lot of players who were getting past 10 goals into double figures and, and contributing in that way. And similar sort of thing of not using that many players. It is just falling into place for, for Coburn. And I feel as if he's picked up certain things from Bielsa and aligned them with, with his own ideas and, and things that he wants to do. And it, it looks as if they have a great chance going up. Going back to the Bielsa stable then, Phil, um, we've heard from Benoit Delaval this week on The Athletic, who, for the benefit of anybody who doesn't know who he is. Delaval was um, Bielsa's fitness coach and one of the driving forces behind the conditioning of the squad and, and the fitness levels that they had and absolutely key to to making Leeds the, the kind of machine that they were for so long under Bielsa. It's interesting really because as of yet, he is the only member of the coaching staff to have said anything publicly. I think it's unlikely that we'll hear much of anything from Diego Reyes um, or Pablo Corroga, um, Bielsa's assistants. And Bielsa himself has said nothing since going from Leeds. We haven't had any any kind of public statement from him. I don't think we really expected one. I don't think it's likely that we'll we'll get one anytime soon. I, I always felt that the point at which he speaks about Leeds will probably be when he takes on another job and, and is inevitably asked about it. The interesting thing with Delaval and the fact that obviously he was fitness coach is that that interview has come around about the same time as the comments from Jesse Marsh about, as he put it, the overtraining of the squad at Leeds. That was put to Delaval. The, the piece, I should say, was written by Danny Taylor, my colleague at, at The Athletic, and he did put those comments to Delaval and, and said, you know, do you want to respond to this? Do you want to comment on, on what Marsh has said? And, and he didn't, you know, he, he didn't want to, to get into a back and forward. But he was defensive of the injury record at Leeds. His, his attitude and his, his opinion was that the injuries weren't really any worse than they'd been in previous seasons. I have to say personally, I don't think I particularly agree with that, but, but he said that as far as he was concerned, the, the numbers kind of stacked up in that sense. And also that the injuries Leeds were suffering were kind of on a par with the worst of the injuries elsewhere in the Premier League. But the thing that the thing that always jumps out in, in pieces like this is the fact that, as he said, when he was at Leeds, in his words, it was like being in a washing machine. You were just going round and round and round and round and round. And that was not a criticism or anything like that. He, he clearly absolutely loved it. And then one day, you know, one Sunday morning, it all ends. Mm. And, you know, Delaval's got his family here. He's got his kids here. I'm pretty sure they're, they're in school or, or have been. Um, in Leeds and yeah that's kind of life of life of football coach and it's a it's a strange one I can draw parallels with that with my my old job when I was commuting to Newcastle five days a week and it consumed my life and then one day it came to an end and it took me about three months to just get my head around not doing it every day like to just sort of wind down it must be a very like high intensity job that they've got and, and it, I was struck by the personal aspect of it all as well like because you, you rarely see people in football as humans and actually Marcelo Bielsa 
kind of transcended that. We've used the word transcended a lot, but he did. He, he made you aware of the human aspect of it all because he was so connected to the fan experience, wasn't he? He made you think about that. So then you start to view his coaches in the same light. You do. And and I think partly because people like Reyes and Quiroga seem as, I, I suppose nobody can be as devoted to it as Bielsa is. I mean, Bielsa is so invested in coaching and management. It's it's almost not not real. But Quiroga and Reyes seem inclined to drop everything and, and go anywhere as, as soon as he asks them to. It's slightly different with Diego Flores, his other assistant who left at the same time as, as Carlos Cobran or around the same time. Um, and went to went back to to Argentina, but it's kind of strange career, and I think for ex footballers, and and it should be said that you know neither Reyes nor Quiroga were high level professionals or anything like that. But a lot of players, when they reach the end of their careers, the kind of inclination is to go into coaching, get your badges, become a manager. And I remember speaking to to one ex Leeds player who, who's doing academy coaching at the moment, and and saying to him, you know, have you ever thought about management? And he said, well, the problem is that, say, for example, and I'm, I'm just plucking a club from the air here, but if you're based in Yorkshire and Portsmouth say to you, we want to appoint you as manager, you can't realistically commute from Leeds or, or Yorkshire. So you move down south, you take your family with you, you know, you take your kids out of school, move move schools. If it all goes wrong, you get sacked in six months' time and suddenly everything needs uprooting again and and." Presumably, you know, the, the, the obvious option is that you head home and you go back to, to where you've come from. So it really has to be for you. I think you need a massively understanding family and you need to be prepared for huge amounts of, of disruption. And I think, you know, looking at somebody like Delaval and Reyes and Kuroga, the start of this season, there was always obviously the question mark over Bielsa about, is he going to stay? Will he, you know, will it be year five? Will he go? Even if it had gone well, you were never quite sure. But I saw a feel absolutely convinced that had it been a really strong season this season, he would have stayed, you know, mm. he, he would have would have cracked on. And given how well it went last season, I can't help but feel that Reyes and Quiroga and, and people like Delaval would have thought to themselves, you know, this quite a long-term thing, this. And then suddenly, like you say, one Sunday morning, it's gone. That's the thing that struck me, and you're naturally going to gravitate towards these comments as a parent yourself, but it's like having his kids in school. I don't just see the you know, the guy with the cones at the start of the game, making him run up and down the touchline together. Suddenly you, you realise this guy's got a, a wife and a family and, you know, a life around all that. And as you were saying in the article, he's like, he's falling in love with the area as well. As so many people rightfully do. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> well, when, when I when I came down to university, I was 17 and I went and studied in Sheffield. And the first thing my tutor said to me was, you'll never go home, you know. And I, and I thought, well, yeah, I probably will. Probably go back up to, to Scotland when this is all done. And then just never did. And, and people do fall in love with Yorkshire and when I went to interview Marsh a few weeks back he was saying to me oh, you know where, where do you live I said oh, I live in York and he said oh, I, I really you know really want to go and see York I, I, there's a lot about Yorkshire that I want to go and explore Old, and old is, York uh, as the Americans call it oh, That's it That's it Yeah yeah. Um, but there is you know there's, there's there's a lot to do here there's a lot to fall in love with and I think they all did I mean I, I, I got the impression always that, that Bielsa loved Weatherby and loved the surroundings and you know as, as little time as he really had to get out and about he did when he could and it becomes it comes quite a break I mean I, I don't doubt at all that Delaval will be hoping to get back into football and will we'll be hoping for a job somewhere else and whatever you think of the injury record at, at Leeds it has to be said that the kind of conditioning targets that were set by Bielsa were really tough and for so long the players matched up to them they did they, they all lost weight they all got into the perfect shape and you know just to go back quickly to the overtraining comments I think we made this point on the podcast last week it becomes I think borderline 
Well, difficult borderline impossible to properly criticise that when you think of what the football was like for three years. Yes, it, I think it clearly became a factor towards the end and um, the fact that the, you know, the squad wasn't holding up in, in the way that it, that it needed to. But I do look at Delaval and I think that must have been an incredibly difficult job. Mm. Really difficult. Yeah. And it's not just the injuries, is it? It's the squad size is a factor. And then another factor that feeds into that is the pickiness in the transfer market. And then you've got to then look at how much you've got to spend in the transfer. So it's all these different links in the chain. Nuance. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Great, great, great areas. Absolutely. I mean, Delaval came in with um, with Bielsa in that first summer. He was part of the, the influx of staff. You had um, Reyes, you had Flores, you had Quiroga, you had um, Lamrani, obviously a translator initially, and you had some analysts as well. But you only have to look at the the impact of that, you know, and, and the difference in the team that first game at Stoke to realise what they were doing. And, and actually, I mean, I, I was up at Thorpe Arch, uh, I think the first week of training, pre-season training after Bielsa came in, and Delaval was doing laps of, of the pitch with them, he's running the players around. And I mean, they went on and on and on and on to the extent where poor old size was dropping off the back of the of the pack, clearly not at the same level of fitness as the rest of the players. And, and Cooper, bless his soul, dropped off and ran with him, you know, just to get him through through the, the final the final few laps of, of the pitch with that. But it was really tough. Yeah. It was really tough. And and I think I think the one thing you have to remember with something like Delaval is that you've got pressure from above from Bielsa saying I, I need the players to be this fit you need to you know you need to crack the whip like this but you then have the pressure from the players of doing it in a way that doesn't make them say I'm not having this yeah. you know I just do not want to do this you, you know I've, it's, it's not for us and there's a funny story in the, the article with him about the, the April Fool they, they played in him where they <laughs> yeah. basically got him in and pretended for a while that they were absolutely sick of him and were basically saying he's pushing us too hard we're not having it. It's, it's just out of order. This it needs to change. And, and Delaval was sitting there thinking, "I'm going to get sacked." Like, you know, oh God, what's, yeah. like, what's going to happen? Open rebellion. Until, until Kamar Roof started laughing, and it turned out that it was it was just a joke. I mean, obviously, I I wrote I've written about Bielsa right the way through his, his time here, and, and done that book as well. And and the more you hear about the people under him, the more you realise how intense it is for them, and how ultra ultra professional and committed they need to be. And we learned from the article as well that Delaval was the brains behind Murderball as well. And and it was good to get an insight into where that came from as well, because it's actually been used as a bit of a stick to beat the Bielsa regime with now, you know, factoring in Marsh's comments and all that. But it makes sense when you hear where it came from. So he was saying that Murderball, they looked at the average amount of in-play time that the ball has in the Premier League. They work it out to be about an hour or something like that, don't they? So they base Murderball around that. So can you run for that amount of time flat out with no whistles, regulations, only the, the very worst fouls are ever blown up for, but basically it was a free-for-all. And if you could do that, then it'd make the games easy relative to Murderball. One of the players said that to me, said um, you kind of love and hate Murderball because it's horrific at the time and it pushes you so hard. But then you go into league games and they're nowhere near as intense. You know, you, you feel like you're flying. It's probably important to say that Murderball was not a, a new creation at Leeds. I mean, Bielsa had done it back at Newell's. If you speak to the players who were there with him in the early 1990s, they remember a very similar thing. And also at Athletic Bilbao, they called it champions over there uh, rather than um, Murderball. But it, it was the same thing. You know, it was kind of 11 on 11 getting stuck into each other. As one player said to me, you know, basically you've got staff all around the pitch getting stuck into you. There are balls everywhere. And as soon as the ball goes out, it gets thrown back in. That's um that's the game and 
and it, it, it tended to be broken up into segments every now and again. Bielsa would, um, would take the players off the pitch, quickly speak to them about this, that and the other, and then they'd, they'd all launch back in again. But again, like you you said, you know, kind of stick to, to beat them with. I, I don't see why it should be at all. I mean, look, look what it did and look what, what it achieved. I, I, Motherball was one of my favourite things about the Bielsa era. I just think it's totally, totally different to what any other coach does. I remember asking one of his players at Bilbao, who's now coaching in Spain, said, do you do this? No, you're joking. Because Bielsa can get away with that. Bielsa can do that and people will go with it. Because he's Marcelo Bielsa. Of course he is. Yeah. And, and not just because he's Bielsa, but because it's his idea. Um, so this is what he does and, and it's kind of his baby. Whereas if, you know, elsewhere, and, and I know... Well, Col- Coburn, I was going to Col- say. Yeah. I was going to say Coburn has done it at Huddersfield. Um, and I've read some comments from players over there saying talking about how kind of crazy it is and, and intense. And, and I don't know if he still does it, but I'm sure they'll have felt some some benefit from that. But the player, the ex-Bilbao player was, was saying, if I said to the players, this is what we're doing, the players would say to me, we don't really know who you are. And no, we're not doing it. You know, it's just too, it's just too intense. And the fact that Bielsa was able to use it and to kind of harness the players' enthusiasm for it, in a, a, you know, after a fashion, I think said a lot about his management. Yeah, it's interesting like to see, we've got comments from Eddie Nketiah this week as well. He was saying, because um, he was asked about it, wasn't he, prior to the um, the game against Chelsea, what was it like training for Bielsa? And he said he was it pushed his envelope. He, he was well outside what he was used to in his comfort zone and it, and it was hard. Touched on the whole, the whole injuries thing a little bit, but I think he probably wanted just to avoid any, <laughs> yeah, any more. Like, is this my business? Yeah, yeah. Any, more, any more blowback on it. But it's interesting just to hear it from a professional who'd been inside leads and then outside leads to say that it was like, yeah, it was this was like really, really hard. Oh, it's it's a recurring theme. Everybody who comes into Leeds and, and has and had the the chance to train with Bielsa said we've never seen anything quite like this. You know, on 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 this scale, it's not for everyone. It has to be said. I mean, I I was told the story of the player who left Leeds was sold by Leeds, and as he was going out out of Thorpe Arch the last time, security said to him, "You know, good luck and everything else." And and he just sort of said, I suppose on the flip side, I'll be able to eat what I want now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> within within reason. So it's it's not as if absolutely everybody is going to buy into it, but it was it was a, a real experience for a lot of people, and a, the sort of experience that I think a lot of people will benefit from. I, I experience that I think if some of the players at Leeds go on to coach, you know, and I, I'm kind of thinking of people like Forshaw, for example. I know that that he spoken before about taking notes about what Bielsa did, and I suspect that as a coach or as a manager, it would be impossible to copy an awful lot of it, but there will definitely be aspects of it that you can, you know, you can feed on. And people will accuse us of being obsessed with Marcelo Bielsa now. So let's talk about Marsh actually. And if you contrast that, because um, the Leeds players, a lot of them have been on holiday this week, so mm-hmm. they had a week off and went and got a bit of sunshine. And we, and we spoke about the contrast between the two of them where Marsh has maybe come in and given them a little bit more carrot and less stick. And maybe that's yes. just what just what they need right now. Because one of my immediate thoughts when I saw the pictures of them on holiday was, Bielsa wouldn't have allowed that. <laughs> You'd have been doing triple murder ball <laughs> yeah. sessions. I have to say that Bielsa softened slightly in that way as time went on. He was he became more and more open to giving them a little bit of time through international breaks, but not a huge amount. And he always always worked them them hard. It's just different, really. It's a, it's a different method. It's a different way of doing things. I've I've probably said before that on match day minus two now, which will be Thursday if you're playing on Saturday or you know Saturday this week if you're playing on a Monday away at Crystal Palace. It's 
very low key and it is very gentle and then it picks up again the following day a lot of set pieces um a, a lot of a lot of drill work um it becomes far more intense with Bielsa it tended to be high octane all the way through the week i think to say it's made a difference it, it's difficult to tell really because i feel like it's almost impossible to properly judge marsh at the moment there are things that have obviously changed i've i've written for next week i think a piece will run on on monday about the difference with set pieces and corners in particular there's a, a massive difference now between the way they set up for corners under marsh in, in comparison to the way they, they did under bielsa but a lot of the results the good results have been fairly harem scarem norwich wolves even even watford was pretty on edge for a while and I feel as if, you know, the proper judgment of Marsh is going to have to wait until we get to the other side of the summer. When, until, it's, when it's his squad as well. When it's his squad, when, when, they've, they, when they've signed players and yeah. they've had pre-season friendlies, everything else, and there are kind of no excuses for everything not being mm. in place and, and ready. But yeah, no, it, it is different. And I think it was it was always going to be different. And I think actually, if, if truth be told, the board at Leeds were wanting it to be different when he came in. There, there were similarities between him and Bielsa in the way that the teams cover ground and, and the distance that they run in games. But I think as time goes on, you'll see more and more differences. It was interesting to see the stats this week that Leeds have become um, more effective at pressing since March has come in. Yes, although I'd need to look closely at them to see how that applies to previous seasons because they were they were very, very good at pressing, I felt, under Bielsa for, for a long time. But pressing is clearly something that Marsh relies on heavily and, and does in a different way to Bielsa. It was always man on, man-to-man with Bielsa. With Marsh, if you, if you look carefully, you can see that they do try more to hunt in packs. They do pick the moments to go. Well, but, well Bamford, when he did the co-commentary um, on LUTV, described it as throwing a net that, well, that's it, you see. I mean, if if anybody wants to go back and look at a piece we did after the Leicester game and we were looking at, you know, what, what had changed, it was very evident that in certain situations you would have a scenario where Leeds, certainly beyond the halfway lane, had nobody on one side of the pitch at all. There was a massive area of, of the field with no Leeds player in it because they were being drawn into one spot in order to, to pinch the ball and it is a different style of pressing. Whereas with Bielsa, you got used to everything being one to one, and you know players spread spread all over the pitch. Marsh has kind of said himself, it is about trying to pin the ball down in the position where it is. You know, so if you can get three, four players to press in that one area, you've got more chance of winning it. That's that's his view, and that's I think what what you'll see. But I think the, the differences are starting to show through now. And I do think they will become more pronounced. Yeah, there were moments in that Watford game when I really liked how they pressed the ball. It was really good. And the, the way we got them to turn it over in particular areas. It seems when it works, it's really effective. So let's just hope we see plenty of it working. Well, a considerably better team, I think, Palace on Monday night. So how does it work against Palace mm. as opposed to how does it work against Watford? That's um, true, yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's, that is going to be the, the question for Marsh going forward is, you know, and, and this is, it's not just been this under him. It was like this under Bielsa this season as well. They have generally outstrip the teams below them and that's what's made the difference in, in the league table but in order to get up to ninth, 10th position you need to be regularly beating more sides than, than they have this season We'll get on to um, to Palace in a couple of minutes let's just tie up one final thought on Bielsa as we were talking about him there the advert in the paper in Rosario which I thought was pitched absolutely it was perfect it, I don't know who did the the advert who wrote the advert and they wanted to stay essentially anonymous, didn't want the names to it, there were no names on it. But it, it was brilliantly conceived in that it didn't mention Leeds, it didn't mention 
Beelzebub's surname at all. But if you knew the background and you knew the history and you'd been in the mix, you knew exactly what it was was talking about. And and I think more to the point. It's one of those, if you know, you know kind of things. If, if you yeah. know, you know. Yeah. And if you're Beelzebub and you pick up that paper and you see that, you would be in absolutely no doubt that that is aimed at you. And you'd have no idea, you'd know, you'd know it's come from Leeds, you know, but you'd have no idea who's done that. You'd have no idea who's paid for it. We'd have no idea about the the kind of process that went into organising it. And we we wrote well, I I wrote a piece um, on Wednesday about it, which you know was was basically the ins and outs of, of what was going on, including the story of the the um, Leeds fan who is currently getting about three hundred copies shipped over to the UK because she sort of rashly tweeted saying I'm getting one of these for my husband if he fancy <laughs> a copy. To which everybody said that ah, absolutely. So you know they're in the process of of doing that. I'd go as far as to say that. In all the tributes to Bielsa so far from Leeds, that's that's been the best. Yeah. And the article that was alongside it, so they ran an article explaining what happened alongside the actual advert itself, didn't they? And the online version of that was the most viral thing they've ever had. Yeah, I was speaking to the, the two guys, um, Jamie Ralph and um, Nico Bloge, who have become the Newells fans, essentially. Um, Jamie's based in Ireland and, and Nico lives in Buenos Aires, but spends a huge amount of time up in Rosario. Well, Can, so Jamie runs the the Newell's English account. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and they they become kind of conduits for any Leeds fans who want any sort of interaction with Newell's or Bielsa or or Argentina, or whatever else. So I, I spoke to Jamie earlier this week, and and he said there hasn't been a Leeds uh, Newell's game this season where there hasn't been at least one Leeds fan there. That's kind of what's <laughs> what's developed. So the supporters who arranged the advert went to Jamie, went to Nico and said, can you sort this out? Nico, I think, did a lot of the legwork based in Argentina, obviously fluent speaker over there, um, and sorted it out. And the, 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 what they wanted to do, they, they were saying that Sunday is the most expensive day for the adverts. They did it on a Saturday, which was slightly cheaper, but also it was the, the night after a Newell's home game, which meant that people would be picking up the paper and would see it. But as I say, I think there are a lot of ways in which that could have been done. And there was an awful lot that could have been written in the message. But I just thought it was wonderfully, wonderfully understated. And listen, if you wrote it, come on, we tell <laughs> Come on and have a chat with us because I'm really impressed. You can have my job. Monday night football then. Selhurst Park, Crystal Palace. You're looking forward to the journey down for that one, Phil? Well, you see, I'm lucky because I can go there in the train and I can stay overnight. I think to repeat the morning that we were doing last week, the scheduling this is just absolutely ridiculous. It'd be fine to be a Monday night had it been mon- a Monday night from seven, eight weeks out, but the short notice was, was just unacceptable, I think. I Three think. and a half weeks, wasn't it? Yeah, it should, it should I, be said that. Because th- there are um, self-set deadlines for the Premier League to announce when fixtures are going to be moved for the TV. Yeah, but they never meet them. I was going to say they've missed it every time this season, apparently. No, it's it's a it's kind of standing joke, really. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, the FSA tweet about it a lot, but nobody pays any attention and, and ultimately money talks. But good game, this one. The game I'm I'm looking forward to, they've... They've had a lot of a lot of credit this season, Palace, and obviously they reached the semi-finals of of the FA Cup. And I think for Patrick Vieira's first season, he'll be really happy with with how it's gone. I think a lot of the credit they, they've they've played well, no no doubt about it. But I think part of the reason that there's been so much credit given to them is because they they probably looked a little bit last summer like a team who might be in in a bit of bother. Mm. Um, they had a lot of players like out of contract as well as yeah. Um, but I I think the recruitment's been really good I mean do we want to get into Conor Gallagher again 
it's been a great signing for I was going to say it has been a great well, signing the stats all bear it out he's been their best player this season mm-hmm. eight goals from midfield three assists plus he's getting the highest average ratings as well game by game depending on which you know website you look on but yeah all in all a really really good signing and uh, Tuchel was asked about him wasn't he at Chelsea this last week and he sort of said well we'll We'd like to have him involved in our squad, but it's ultimately up to uh, to Conor Gallagher what happens there. Well, I hope, I hope he goes somewhere else because I, I don't know. I, I look at him and I think he's a sort of player who deserves to play a lot, but might not play a lot at Chelsea. And it wouldn't be great. Would well, he's it, got Lewis Baker to get past first. Well, ab- absolutely. Who's going to be there till he's about 59, I think. You know, ironically, well, I mean, we will preview Chelsea when we get a lot closer to it. But given that they are in the cup final at the expense of Crystal Palace, and we play them on the Wednesday before the cup final, we could well face Lewis Bay. <laughs> well, I mean, Tuchel's going to have to, Tuchel's going to have to be pretty... Because, um, th- because third place is basically sewn up for them now. Isn't yeah, he's League, going to so. have to be pretty cute with that lineup, I think, to make sure that everybody's everybody's okay. I, I read a good piece earlier this week, actually, and, and I should have noted down who wrote it, but talking about the difference between Gallagher this season as opposed to last season when he was on loan at, at West Brom, and it was kind of making the point, and I thought it was a, a really interesting point of discussion, this, that analysing who is a good signing for you is kind of difficult to do based on individual seasonal stats because players do change and players are asked to do different things depending on who the manager is and what the tactics are and, and based on the, the other players round about them. And, and he's probably a, a great example. I mean, I remember when we, we ran the story last summer of Leeds Inmouth Palace to, to sign Gallagher. A lot of people saying, not keen on that at all. It's gone down with West Brom. Doesn't look. Doesn't I will. Look like I will it. admit to feeling underwhelmed at the time. Well, I'm, I must confess, my feeling was that he was a decent enough player to be going for, but I didn't look at him and think that is the signing that would drive the season. You know, in the way that it kind of has for Palace. But it just goes to show. What do we know? <laughs> well, I, well I, have, I have to say, I wouldn't object at all if Lee, I, don't, I don't think Leeds will go back for him this summer. But I wouldn't object at all if they did. Yeah. You'd imagine it'd be too expensive. But back to Palace anyway as a as a concept, because they're in that middle group and their season is now effectively over, really, give or take. I just hope that what we experience on Monday is um, is a bit of a post-FA Cup semi-final lull where it, not, nothing quite lives up to the excitement of being at Wembley in front of, you know, 70-odd thousand people uh, waving flags and chucking balloons around. And they, obviously they played at Newcastle on Wednesday night. They lost that one as well. It could well be. But it, again... It's funny when you look at the table because the, there is the perception with Leeds that they've had a poor season and I think we'd be lying if we say that they haven't. You know, it's not it's not been a stellar season at all. But they really are in a position where they could still finish fairly high up the table. And it's probably going to be a challenge to accrue many points from the games that are coming up. You mentioned Chelsea. That might actually be an opportunity because I, I don't know what Tuchel will do with his team and, and if it is a fairly weak lineup, then it obviously gives Leeds a, a better chance. I mean... City will come here and will try to score about seven goals again because they, they I mean they 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 just have zero margin for error them and I mean the the pressure on them from Liverpool is is absolutely intense and it's not just about league position and you know the the fact that the title's up for grabs it's the fact that Liverpool look incredibly strong on every front and there will be that thought at the back of, I suspect, Guardiola's mind, but City's mind collectively as well, that if Liverpool were to do the quadruple and City were to finish with nothing, it's, it doesn't reflect very well on them at no, all, no, no. or on the, the investment that's been made. And, and you know, if, if you were being, if you've been chatting up about it or, you know, grown up about it, you would say, 
outstanding Liverpool team. That's fine. But there would be a massive gulf between what Klopp's done and, and what Guardiola's done this season. So, I mean, City will, City will absolutely want to, to go to town. So points, I, th- I think, are going to be a challenge to, to come by. And I do feel that maybe with the exception of Chelsea, depending on what Tuchel does, Palace is probably the best chance for them. Mm. And Brighton as well. Oh, oh, to come, yeah, yeah, but but obviously much further down the line. By which point things things could have changed in the table again. Mm. Just looking at um, Palace's wins this season, they basically win one game a month. They've won eight, the same as us. Considering they're supposed to have had a good season, I think they have relative to what was expected of them. Yeah. They're only four points in front of us. No, that, absolutely, that, that and, should and, be said. But and, they, they, they win one game a month, basically. And Villa, you know, three points ahead of Leeds, albeit with the game in hand um, as we speak at the moment. But four defeats on the bounce, signing of Coutinho, you know, if they they finish 15th, I don't think anybody's going to say that it's a season for DVDs to get released. (laughs) They still do Uh, though. Well, they might might do anyway. So yeah, uh, it it feels to me that in a strange sort of way, Leeds are as much part of the middle pack as they were last season in the sense that they were a better team last season, that the results were considerably better and they played better, no, no doubt about that. But Actually, breaking into that top bracket of clubs, you know, it was, it was never there last season, really. In the end, there was that gap there. And I do feel like Leeds are still in that, that kind of clutch of six or seven clubs who, who seem as if they could morph and shift into any position and the table would kind of feel no different, if you know what I mean. Like if Newcastle were in 15th, would it really feel that much different to them being in, in 11th? As yeah, I was going to say, I'm just, no. looking, I'm just looking at the table and there's. Uh, a spread of eight points between us in 16th and Leicester in, in ninth. And yeah. Yeah, there's some, some variations in the amount of games played. But And Leeds are, Leeds are not going to bridge that. I mean, no. they, they will not get up to ninth this season. No, absolutely um, not. But just, just in terms but, yeah, of that, that no, mid, middle group. And if you consider the boundaries of these each these groups within the Premier League as kind of soft boundaries and maybe, you know, what Leeds want to do is get into that top 10 group, don't they? Yeah. And, some, and not in future seasons. And I think that's why when the summer comes around, they, they've, they've got to be very honest about what's going on this season and about what needs to change because actually sensible investment and, and concerted investment could make a big difference in this division um, and, and that needs to come in this summer. How do you fancy this one goes? Because I struggled with this earlier in the week. I couldn't put my finger on how I felt about it. No, it could, it could go I, anywhere, any one of three ways. I'm the same really. I think my gut is saying probably home win but I quite fancy a draw yeah. in this one. I, I can see it being tight. I can see it being not much of a spectacle really. I don't think Leeds will be feeling overly comfortable, although that depends a little bit on the Burnley result. But at the same time, there has definitely been an ease of pressure because of the, the results. And, you know, three wins from four, 10 points from, from four games made a huge difference to the table. For Palace, like you say, season is, is basically done. They're not going to get into Europe. They're not they're out of the FA Cup. It's, yeah, it, it could be... It could be a slightly sort of low-key affair, this one, I think. You think so? Scrappy, maybe? Possibly, yeah. Because yeah, Leeds, yeah. Leeds never seem to do low-key. I think they do scrappy, but it's always got that kind of air of tension and panic about it. Yeah, I know. It'll become weird at the end of the season if there's nothing riding on, you know, the last couple of games. Or, I, well, or, I, keep, I well this is, I keep waiting for the, the routine win. Like, <laughs> Leeds, I don't think I've had a routine win all season, have they? That way we just go out and beat somebody. I know, I know. I, I was sort of saying to you... I, I know, you know we beat I, Watford, I should say. Yeah, and, and, and to you, you did predict 3-0 and I hate it when you're right um, but but um, it was it was not like a 3-0 win as we you know as, as people have come to know them where you kind of offer a 
pint of paint after an oh, hour going yes. although it was in, in retrospect it was quite comfortable it's just because of the context of the table it didn't look it at the time like I, I said before I watched that second half back again and we were whilst we were on the end of a lot of balls into the box and possession and all that we never really looked under that much threat I mean Cooper had it sewn up at the back in that game but still uh, I don't look back at that game as one that I went oh yeah we won that game it was probably more in game that worry of is panic going to sit in here yeah, yeah. and is, is, every, is it going to get into the heads that if we concede here, we're in big trouble. And there was just that little period where it, it seemed like that was coming. But to go back to the the analysis that we did in the last podcast of it, I just think Leeds are a better team than Watford. Um, in the same way that they're a better team than Norwich, and I think they're a better team than, than Burnley. And I do feel that ultimately that will be shown in the table. They have not been a better team this season than, than a hell of a lot of the sides in mm. the Premier League. Hence why this transfer window is going to matter. Yeah, Palace are funny. They've, they just happen to have drawn a few more games than, than we have, which goes to show the fine margins in, in this division. But they're the only side beneath eighth place in this division to have a positive goal difference. They're plus two at the minute. Good point, yeah. Leeds sitting there pretty on minus 30. Minus 30. Although it's not the worst. We've got Norwich on minus 44 and no, Watford on minus 32. And you never know what could happen with Everton and Liverpool this week. <laughs> that's that's right. Um, and... Again, with Leeds, it's the defensive record that jumps out. And I know that certain games, individual games, have made a big difference to the, the goals conceded, particularly City and, and Liverpool away. But 68 goals conceded is still the worst in, in the division. But if you took out half a dozen of the, half a dozen games there, I wonder how much that would drop by. You know, the worst games that we've had, like Man City and Liverpool and... Uh, Considered five at Old Trafford on the opening day, didn't we? I know, and I know, like if you took out the bad things, everything would be good. But, <laughs> well, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Actually, the, the focus of the goals conceded has actually been around those so-called bigger teams. If you forget about all the defeats, it's been it's been great yeah. season. You're still thinking yeah. about you're still thinking about the bad thing, aren't you? Um, <laughs> let's look at the fixtures then that are happening between now and us on Monday. So you've got Burnley, Southampton Thursday night. You then spin forward to Saturday, Man City, Watford. Norwich are facing down Newcastle who are on a bit of a, a hot streak at the minute. Although yeah, I can just I could just imagine Norwich getting something out of that now Newcastle are basically safe. Maybe, Probably weirdly enough. Maybe, although I feel like I feel like Norwich have gone. Yeah. Um and I know I know they beat Burnley, um, but I did wonder how much over that weekend was influenced by Everton beating Man United and um, and Leeds winning at Watford whether suddenly the pressure came to, to bear on Burnley. I can't see Watford getting anything. City that looks like a home win every day of the week but I, I don't know are we are we even talking about Watford and Norwich anymore no, I, really I, it's just because I've highlighted the, the fixtures of the it's the bottom five you've got us yeah. Burnley, Watford, Norwich but um, no I mean I'm not particularly bothered actually what happens between yeah, Norwich I, and Newcastle I'm sure Newcastle will win but. I mean I, I have to say that Burnley at home to Southampton followed by Burnley at home to Wolves I, I think it's an opportunity for them to get some points mm. definitely I always get the um, feeling as well with Wolves that they, they might just have a little bit too much street smart yeah and, and a little bit too much too much quality but the fact of the matter for Burnley now is that draws here and there are of absolutely no use to them. They, yeah. They've got to got to win games. Whereas for Everton, nicking that point against Leicester is you know it is a high value point that. No, and then Liverpool Everton the Sunday afternoon fixture. Yes, I feel as if Everton will lose that without a doubt. And what um, Watford actually will have a big say in where this goes because they've got Burnley at home on Saturday the thirtieth, and then Wednesday the eleventh of May Watford Everton. So it'll be fascinating to see how all that plays out. I just hope we're nowhere near any of it. I don't want to go into the final two games needing something or a draw. Needing a draw would probably be fine. Yeah, I, I think I think as well, having taken 10 points from the last four games, it'd be really disappointing to get to that stage and it's it still to be live. You'd like to think that at some stage in the next couple of weeks, it, it will be 
will be done and dusted. I think what's likely to do it is probably going to be results elsewhere rather than results for Leeds. As I say, Palace looks, I, I could see them getting something from Palace. Games after that look look pretty difficult. But ultimately, if, if Burnley are making up no ground to speak of, then then Leeds will be fine. Yeah, a win counts for a lot down there, doesn't it? There haven't been a great deal of them um, this season. So yeah, hopefully hopefully we get one on Monday. Let's let's remain positive. I'm going to go for either draw or win. I'm, I'm a, a soft win I'll go for just because I really want this season to be over. As I've said so many times in recent weeks, um, wake, you know, waking up thinking about it, going to bed thinking about it, it's just been stressful pretty oh, much since the get-go. I think Watford away is as stressed as I've felt all season about a, an individual game. Norwich was a little bit like that because... It it was the first must win, wasn't it? It felt like I that think one. it was. Yeah. It, it was that I keep saying this, but it was that thing of if you're not beating Norwich, who who are you beating um, this season? And and there was a little aspect of that with Burnley at the turn of the the year as well. But I think Watford the, Watford just intensified massively as that week went on. You know, between the the Burnley result with Moor against Everton and then Everton beat Manchester United, you were suddenly sat there thinking, actually, not losing this game isn't really enough. You know, you need to win this game. They've got to, mm. got to get points from this. But when it's come to it, more often than not, Leeds have taken wins from from the games that that matter. And you do tend to find that if you if you have nine ten wins, you stay up. And and Leeds are not far from that now. Mm, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. So we'll say it's that we can get something out of it. Let's hope we do. And yeah, and and also we might see Phillips start at Selhurst Park. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. you know that that's been coming. I think assuming he's okay, due to speak to Marsh tomorrow. So we'll we'll find out where he's at but he did play again against Watford he's had two weeks since then and again you put him in the team and I think Leeds are, are a different yeah, I was a little bit surprised not to see him at Watford but we've seen from Marsh's comments since that they've been a little bit careful yeah, and yeah they, don't want to, so. they don't want to Bamford him yes 100% <laughs> um, so fingers crossed right well we'll be back after the Palace game it looks like and it feels like when we speak next week we'll have a much greater idea of what's happening this season when all the games have levelled out Leeds have gone to Palace Burnley have done all their games and we'll see what the table looks like. I would say that if by next week Leeds are on 36 points, we'll be saying it's done. Will we? Will we indeed? I think we probably will. <laughs> Apart from Normanton, obviously, he'll, yeah, be, yeah. He'll, be, he'll still be betting on relegation. Uh, he's, he's been giddy thinking we're going to stay up um, <laughs> now because he's had a bit of sunshine in Spain. He's having a lovely time. Uh, yeah, Michael will be back next week. We'll be back next week as well at the Phil Hayes Show on Twitter if you want to say hello to us, by the way. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Pound a month for six months. We'll speak to you next week. The Phil Hay Show.